If you have your Bibles this morning, if you will open to the 15th chapter of Mark, 14th chapter of Mark, got ahead of myself. If you'll open to the 14th chapter of Mark, our scripture reading today begins in verse 66. Mark 14, 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out into the porch the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is, the, this is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed for a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... I want to come to you this morning and just confess my weakness. God, I pray that as we study this scripture this morning, that we will be encouraged and convicted. That we would know where our strength comes from. Uh, there are many of us here this morning who are facing difficult things in our life. Help us to stand strong. Strengthen us. Encourage us this morning. God, we want to pray for those in our body who are um, about to embark on uh, surgeries. For Karen Overman and Susie Downer, both of them who will have surgeries tomorrow. God, we want to pray that, um, that the surgeon will be able to, um, with Karen's surgery, to, to, to operate well. God, we're thankful that the tumor is benign, but we want to pray that they would get it all and that it wouldn't grow back. And for Susie, as she's going to have both of her knees replaced, we pray that you would um, strengthen her and encourage her as I know the days and weeks and months ahead of recovery will be tough. God, I also want to just lift up those within our body who are struggling with things relationally, emotionally. It is so easy that we let fear creep into our lives and it overcomes us and overtakes us and overwhelms us. God, help us look to you your son, the Prince of Peace, and be strengthened this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
You know, following Christ can lead you into conflict with the world. In the book of John, we have Jesus even uttering words of don't be surprised if they hate you because they hated me also. Now, the goal isn't to go out and try to fulfill this verse, right? The goal is not to go out as Christians and to act so unkind and unloving um, and hostile that those who aren't Christians naturally would not like us. As Christians, we are to be salt and light. We are to be loving. We are to be kind. We are to be generous. We are to be seen as people who love others. But we also are to be known as people who love Jesus above all else. And our message the message that we are left here to proclaim the gospel doesn't fit real well within our culture. In fact, the gospel message, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the only way, flies in the face of everything that our culture and the worldly philosophies want to throw our way. It just doesn't jive. Now, I'm going to maybe date myself a little bit. But in the 90s, when I was in the youth group, um, there were a lot of attempts in the 90s to uh, promote this message of you can follow Jesus and be cool. And so there was this huge attempt uh, by Christian youth leaders and I mean, even some of the evangelism movements of teens in the 90s were all about, hey, you can be hip and love Jesus. And that's how they were kind of trying to persuade us. I mean, how many of you had the God's Gym t-shirt? Oh, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Just so you know, Damon, they have redesigned it. I looked on Amazon and you can buy one for $14 if you want to be hip and a Christian. How many of you had a Carmen tape? Oh, there we go. I went to the concert. (laughs) The champion, yes. (laughs) There was some horrible music produced in the 90s. Sorry. But where what was going on is you had these artists and they were trying to straddle this fence of like, we want to be Christian, but we also want to be cool. And they tried to straddle this fence Instead of just saying, we are Christian artists who want to be creative, we want to produce good music. Just a side note, I think Christians should produce better music than anybody else. Because our relationship with the Lord puts us in touch with emotions and beauty that the world has never seen. But instead of that, a lot of 90s music was about, oh, I'm going to take this secular song, baptize it and be cool. Mark has told us in his gospel that to be a disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. I think it's nearly impossible to straddle this fence for too long of trying to hold favor with the world and be seen by the world in a certain way. And to live out our faith. 
In fact, I think most of us, most of us fall way short. Most of us in the face of sharing the gospel, proclaiming this news that we hold to so dearly and that we sing so loudly about in this auditorium, that when it comes to the outside world proclaiming this gospel with words to those around us, we often shrink back in fear. Fear keeps us from proclaiming our message, which is our mission. Our mission is proclaiming this message of Christ. And I think fear keeps us so many times from proclaiming this message to the world. Fear keeps us from displaying who Christ is in our words and in our actions to our neighbor. And last week, as we studied Jesus on trial, who had every reason to shrink back in fear, as he was undergoing this bogus trial, we see Jesus modeling for us what it means to be a proclaimer of the gospel, where he stood firm and declared, I am the Christ at risk, great risk to himself. Knowing that he would be beaten, knowing that he would be spit upon, knowing that his beard would be plucked out, knowing that a crown of thorns would be put on his head and knowing that he would endure the worst kind of death that you could ever imagine, Jesus stood firm and proclaimed the truth, the truth of the gospel. And last week as we were studying this, one of the things that we saw as Jesus proclaimed this truth, do you remember what the religious leader said? Blasphemy. He blasphemed. And, and one of the things that we talked about is Jesus did not blaspheme. He was proclaiming the truth of who he was. The blaspheming that was going on in that room were from the people who thought they were putting him on trial. And in reality, they were the ones that were on trial. They were the ones that were blaspheming. They were the ones that were condemning themselves with their words and with their deeds. One of the things that we can't miss in this text is there is another trial going on. There's another trial going on. Another trial is taking place. It's way less formal. It's in the public court of opinions. It's not in the Sanhedrin. It's not with those guys. And it's in the midst of this trial that Jesus is going through. And I think this trial, we don't know because it was failed, but I think this trial could potentially have had major consequences as well. As we look at our text this morning, I don't know if last week when I was reading this, you recognized um, one of the things that we've talked about quite often as we've studied the book of Mark, but did you notice the Markin sandwich? If you've been with us, you know. If you haven't been with us, I'll, I'll explain that. A mark, the Markin sandwich is a literary device that Mark use, uses a lot of times where he'll introduce a subject or he'll throw something out there. That's one piece of bread. Then he'll kind of go to something else 
And then he comes back to that. And so this week, as we look at this text, as you as last week, if we look starting in verse 54, notice what Mark tells us. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Then we have Jesus's trial and then we get our passage this morning, which begins with as Peter was below in the courtyard. And as we get this sandwich, what we are supposed to do as we are reading this and as Mark introduces Peter, goes to Jesus and then comes back with Peter. One of the things that we're supposed to do as a reader is we're supposed to look and we're supposed to compare. And I think that what we're supposed to see is that both of these men are on trial and what we're supposed to see is how one man handles this trial and how another man handles this trial. Remember. As we heard in our text, but if you remember from several weeks ago, in verse 29, Jesus, starting earlier, in verse 27, Jesus says that all of you all will all fade away. But Peter said to him in verse 29, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not what? Deny you. And they were all saying the same things also. Peter was saying, whatever I have to do, wherever I have to go, I will not deny you. I will deny myself. I will pick up my cross and I'll follow you. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, I want us to notice something that I think is very important that we understand from all of this context. I think there's a tendency for us to completely throw Peter under the bus, and I think that may be a little bit unfair because there's a couple things that I want you to see that I think are vitally, vitally important as we're looking at this account. Just as I read a minute ago, as Peter, as Jesus predicted that you will all fall away. The question I would have for you, the question I have for myself as I read this is, do I think Peter is serious and sincere when he's saying, I will never deny you? I think he's dead serious. I think he's sincere. I mean, I think it's even risky. We know that sometimes Peter's mouth works faster than his brain, but I think in anybody that that's the case, what we see is the raw emotion, the gut feeling. And we see Peter stepping up here and Peter saying, I will never deny you. He meant it. This is his desire. This is what he wanted to do. These are his convictions. He is convicted that he will not deny Jesus. When we get to the garden. And the soldiers come. What do we know that Peter did? He was making true on his promise, right? I will not deny you. The soldiers come. Peter takes his sword out and it's like, I'm not going to let this happen. We see Peter acting on this conviction. We see him acting on this fervor. We see him 
acting. We see him uh, placing himself in this place and saying, I'm not going to let it happen. Also, notice in verse 53 and 54, Peter followed him. He was the only one. When the guards took him away, when the religious leaders took him away, Peter followed. This was risky. Guts. He was literally following him. And so the question, the question that we have to ask is what went wrong? What went wrong? And one of the things I want to propose to you this morning that I think we can all relate to is that there are some times when bravery runs out. There are times when willpower is just not enough. There are times when want to just doesn't work. I'm reminded of Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do. There's a major difference between the trial of Jesus and the trial of Peter. If we were to compare the two, Jesus was taken captive. He was a prisoner. He was being guarded. It was a formal trial, although, like we said last week, it was a bogus trial, but it was, they were, it was a formal trial. And he was charged with blasphemy. Peter was free. He was there on his own accord. He was not being held prisoner. He was outside in the courtyard. It was very informal. And the whole thing was started by a slave girl. When it all ended, Jesus made this proclamation of truth and stood firm on who he was. He did the will of his father by proclaiming who he was, and he was charged with blasphemy. And Peter, when pushed and pushed, not only denied, but cursed. And they both ended up alone. Jesus alone going to the cross in his death, and Peter alone knowing what had just happened. Again, again, before we're too harsh on Peter, realize the consequences. We have to speculate here, but the speculation is that maybe if Peter would have stood firm and said, I am with him, I am one of his disciples, that maybe these guards would have taken him in and put him on trial with Jesus as well. Maybe they would have immediately taken him and beaten him or or. or Killed him. We don't know what would have happened, but there were major consequences. And before we're too hard on Peter, 
I think we have to reflect on ourselves and ask ourselves this question. How often have you given in when there are far less consequences than your life being on the line? How often have I been convicted to share the gospel with someone but shrink back because of fear? How often have you been in a situation where you know that you need to be salt and light and and bring the truth into a situation, but you shrink back because it may not be popular? It wouldn't allow you to straddle that fence any longer. How often has the fear of not fitting in driven you To deny that you're his. One of the most egregious things that we have done in the church, and I'm speaking about church universal, is that we often, when we have these messages, guess who we address these type of messages to? Youth. Because we're talking about peer pressure and not fitting in. But I think if we step back and look, we have not grown up that much. And hear me, please hear this. I think just like Peter, just like Peter, the want to is there. I think just like Peter, the desire is there. I think just like Peter, at times the fervor is there. And we have to ask, what in the world is going wrong? And I want to go back just a moment and look at the garden because I think it gives us a clear picture into what is going on. As we go back just a couple of verses in verse 33, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's sitting there and he's praying and he took Peter, James and John. Interesting that we get these three names and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And let me ask you this. If the guy who could sleep in the boat. The guy who could calm the waves. The guy who could overcome evil, demon possession, if he says, I'm grieved. This guy's scared. It says, stay up and pray. And notice what we get in verse 37. I don't know if we notice this, but notice, I think this is important. And he came and found, notice, he found them sleeping. And who did he talk to? He talks to Peter. He found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And then we get this insight into what's going on with Peter. And I think that I know this goes on with us as well. Notice in verse 38. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. Notice this. Here's the problem. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. And I think you can relate to this. I can relate to this. And we see this 
in Peter. In verse 66, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were there with Jesus, the Nazarene. A young slave girl. Hardly somebody who was intimidating. But he denied it, saying, I neither notice this. I neither know or understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch. And one of the things that's at play here is that uh, and biblical scholars believe that that one of the things that this servant girl was picking up on in a moment, we're going to say you're a Galilean that maybe there was an accent or a look or something, and she noticed that you're not from around here, are you? I spent five hours in Saudi Daisy yesterday, and we could have picked up somebody like Mark from California from a mile away. He's not from around here. He ain't from around here. He ain't got our accent. There was something about, and so Peter, I think, because of the way this question was asked, and Peter picking up on it, found his wiggle room out of this and saying, yeah, no, I'm not from around here. I, I don't even know, I don't even understand what you're talking about. <laughs> the servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, so notice this is intensifying. She involves the bystanders, which is, a nightmare for Peter. This is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were saying again to Peter. So notice just getting more intense and more intense. Surely you're one of them for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you are talking about. And what's interesting, in the NASB, I don't think it brings out the possibilities. We don't know exactly what it's meant by cursing and swearing. I think we think of just modern day curse words and the way that they're used. But it is potentially, I think likely, that Peter is saying something along the lines of, May I be accursed. Maybe, maybe he's even cursing Jesus. What we know is whatever he said worked. They weren't buying his story, but whatever he said in this moment worked. Then immediately, a rooster crowed. For a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he began to weep. The flesh is so weak. What a failure. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine if we were looking to hire a, another staff position and this was on somebody's resume? 
Would we let somebody like this work with our kids in our youth department? Remember the first Sunday in the book of Mark? Y'all remember that sermon, right? Do you remember one of the things that we talked about in that sermon? Where did Mark get his information? Peter. Huh. Peter. Isn't it interesting that at the most pivotal moment in history, as Peter, as an eyewitness, was there, is recounting to a man, Mark, who is going to write something and send it out, that when it comes to his activities, he is sure to tell him about sleeping, the sword, and denying Jesus. As one commentator puts it, in this account, we see Peter, the rock, crumble. If the goal was to make up a story, make up a gospel, to get millions of people to follow, remember, Peter, at this point, when he is giving these words to Mark, Peter is a pretty big deal in the church. He is a leader. <laughs> and this is the account he gives. If he was making it up, it wouldn't have happened this way. This is a major moral flaw that any of us would say would ruin a ministry. In fact, in fact, when we leave Peter here weeping, we might expect him to go the way of Judas and seek to destroy himself. Of how in the world can I ever overcome this. But God's not done with Peter. In chapter 16, verse 7. Don't miss this. Jesus is raised from the dead. And Jesus says this. Go tell his disciples, this is, a, this is an angel. Go tell his disciples and who? God's not done with Peter. Christ isn't done with Peter. And we know from the book of John that Jesus has this personal interaction with Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. We see the wonderful Love of Christ. And I think it's interesting. We don't get this account in Mark. Because I think Peter as he is talking to Mark. This is pure speculation. But that Peter is telling Mark. Listen. Don't make this about me. Because that would be a grave error. Make it about the one. Who makes all things new. Make it about the right thing. So I want to ask a question to you and a question of our text. How do you ever recover from something like this? 
How do you ever recover? Please hear me. Please hear me. Peter knew he was forgiven. The lie of the enemy that seeks to terrorize us, even as believers, is this demonic idea that you, in your denial, that you, in your sin, are either unworthy of being loved or have done something so grave that you don't deserve the grace of God. And this idea is so demonic because the reality is if we believe that lie, what we are believing is that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. And I don't believe that. The blood of Jesus is more than enough to forgive Peter's denial. The blood of Jesus is more than enough to forgive whatever you are going through. All we have to do is to receive that forgiveness and be made new. Which leads me to a second question that I don't think is as obvious as some people try to make it. And I think this question is at the heart of how it is that we can be a faithful witness as well. How in the world, how in the world do we get from this Peter to the Peter we read about in the in the book of Acts and in the epistles of the New Testament? Who is proclaiming Christ in such a way that he's like, you want to come take me? Here I am. I'm going to preach and I'm going to proclaim and I'm going to do it loudly. And if you want to put me in prison, put me in prison. How in the world do we get there? And what I need you to hear this morning is that it is not mere courage. It's not. It's not an increase in internal fortitude. It's not greater conviction. Peter had all of those things. There is something different. And I think if we read the gospel, if we read the book of Acts, the continuation of after Jesus came back from the dead, what we see is that the difference in Peter is the power of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life. The power of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life. When Jesus comes to the disciples, when he is getting ready to go, what does he tell them? He says, go, get in the upper room and pray. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, what's going to happen? You will be my witness. We are given the Holy Spirit to be a witness. To proclaim. And as soon as Pentecost happens, as soon as Pentecost happens, we have this Peter standing and proclaiming this message. Think of how bold this is. Few days later from this, Peter is standing and he's saying, This Jesus whom you killed. Now that's bravery. That's bravery. 
the same Holy Spirit that embodied Peter and gave him the power to proclaim this message is in all who believe in Christ's name. The same, P the same Holy Spirit that embodies Peter and produces this change, produces this witness, produces this strength, embodies, is in all who believe in His name. It's in His strength. It's in His strength that we can stay awake and pray. It's in His strength that we can stand and proclaim the name of Jesus it's in His strength, and it's only in His strength that we can deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. It doesn't happen any other way. And the question that we have to ask is, does the world need a witness? You've heard me say it, and I'll say it again. The reason that we don't get saved and poof, go to heaven, is because we are saved for a purpose, and the purpose is the proclamation of the gospel. And the world needs our witness. And all of us in this room have failed. But praise God. Praise God. Praise God. That He has redeemed us by His cross. He has risen. He reigns. And He has not left us alone. We have been empowered. And so the natural question you may have is, okay, well how do I tap into this power? We're going to have a seminar this evening for 299... No, we're not doing that. It's really not that complicated. If you want to know. If you want to know how to have the power of the spirit working through you to be the witness that you are called to be, it's really quite simple. The first thing that I think we need to do is to pray. And that we confess. God, I can't do this. I need your strength. I need your power. Would your spirit enable me to be who you created me to be? And then, and then we act. We act over and over again. What we see in the scripture is that when men and women who are empowered by the spirit take a step, guess what happens? God meets us there. And when we take the next step, God meets us there. The problem with many of us is that we sit back and we're waiting for something to happen before we take the step. And in reality, the way that God has ordained for it to happen is for us to take the step and His power and His Spirit meets us there, empowers us in that, and we are able to proclaim the message that He created us to proclaim. So really, all that's left to ask is, 
Will you be a witness? Will you be a witness? And please note, one of the things that's difficult about a sermon like this is that we have all failed so much and Jesus is not looking over us, condemning us with a wagging finger. Jesus is looking at you with love and is saying, you can do it. I know who I called. I love you. So for some of you this morning, there are situations that you need to step into and proclaim the gospel message. For many of us this morning, there are some that are here that have this baggage that's hanging over our heads that we feel like has disqualified us from from being who we are created to be. And this word is telling us. Tell Lewis. I've risen. And I haven't left you. I've given you the power of the spirit. I love you. You can do it. Deny yourself. Pick up the cross. And follow him. Let's pray. God, help us to be a witness. God, we allow ourselves to get weighed down and distracted by so many things that just ensnare us. God, I just want to pray this morning for the kind of conviction that bears fruit, which I think this morning may even be just a glimpse of the joy of being your witness. God, I pray that none of us would be feel like we're being drugged into doing something that we don't want to do, but that, Lord, this morning what would be happening is that you would fuel the desire that you have placed on our hearts with courage and knowledge that we're doing it in your strength and it's not in ours. So we don't have to worry about results or failure. God, we thank you. We thank you. That you loved us so much that you sent your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.